Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. Episode 248, Small Pleasures. Thursday, April 16th, 2020. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. When I record an episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. Today's episode features the following segments, the back porch, the front porch, hashtag power pantry, and off the shelf. Hello everyone and welcome. It's actually Friday morning right now. I only got to record the intro yesterday before some of the tenants on the third floor decided to come over to the inn and start making a lot of noise. I'm used to being here only in the morning, so I suppose it wasn't a very good choice to try and record a podcast in the afternoon. Uh, We all, of course, kept our distance, but they're just here and noisy. So I decided to get up extra early and come over here this morning to record for you. Uh, It's just after 6 a.m. Samuel and I are well. Uh, We have, I've been having spring break this week and Samuel's been working on a video project. We're hoping to get started on a little bit of renovation to our home um, to kind of keep our minds and bodies occupied during this time. And I've been doing a lot of knitting and sewing masks. Um, I think I've supplied everyone in my immediate family, and so now I have another few batches that will go over to my local hospital. And the weather, of course, now that it's spring break, the weather is has been cold and dreary. We had a real hard frost this morning. And um, so I think it's the perfect time for indoor activities. <laughs> And I'll be getting those masks sewn together. On the back porch is the Moonrise Pendant that I had spoken about in the last episode. This is a design called Moonrise Earrings. It's actually for a pair of felted earrings designed by Tiny Owl Knits. I decided that I would create a pendant And I spent most of one Saturday really just working on putting the finishing touches on this pendant. And I've been wearing it almost every day since. It's bold, yet it's lightweight. And I just, I'm really enjoying it. So the pattern has you start with some very loose knitting in 100% wool. I think if I were to do it over again, I would go down even a few needle sizes to create the initial knit object. I felted and felted and felted and felted 
until I just couldn't keep my focus on it anymore. And the piece is still a little bit bigger than I would like. But I decided that that was fine. And then I used my lucette and some linen yarn that I bought last April at the Allentown Fiber Festival to create cording. So a lucette is a tool, a very simple tool that you can use to create a square cord. So you can use a very fine yarn or string and then build that up to something that's quite um, sturdy and tough. And certainly that's the case with the linen and with wear and with kind of collecting the oils in my skin, it's just becoming more and more beautiful. So I created a very long cord and then I um, tied the kind of knot that creates a sliding adjustable necklace. So I can make this pendant very long or I can pull it up so that it's not too long at all. I also used linen to create the fringe on this necklace. So the earrings are fringed and the way it's described in the pattern, you put the fringe on and then you also felt the fringe a little bit. Because I had just really about enough with the felting of the pendant, I didn't feel like felting any fringe. So I just cut some lengths of my linen yarn and using a very sharp needle, I pierced the very bottom edge of the pendant and then pulled the linen through. I didn't really tie it, I just kind of pulled it through a loop and it's very, very secure there. And I made a nice thick fringe all the way across the bottom of this pendant. Then I was thinking it just needed something a little more. And also the linen fringe being kind of super lightweight, just wanted to sort of fly out everywhere. The whole pendant was, it, it wasn't weighty enough. So I looked in my bead box and I found that I had quite a collection of very tiny beads with very, very tiny holes. And they're all like little semi-precious stones. I think a lot of them are jade, um, some variation of jade, but there are a couple others. There might be some that are amber. I'm not exactly sure. It seemed impossible that these beads could be strung onto the linen, but I managed to keep looking through my supplies. I have uh, just kind of a small assortment of beads and different jewelry making supplies. And I found that I had um, one of those beading needles that's like very thin wire. So I thought there's just no way that the bead will fit over this needle, but it did. And then I thought, well, there's just no way that the bead will also fit over the linen yarn, but it did. 
And then just by tying a simple knot under the bead, that was enough to keep it from coming off the fringe. So uh, initially I added a few beads and I really liked this necklace. And since then I've gone back and added more and more and more beads. And the more I add, the more I like it. It also provides a nice weight for the entire piece and keeps the fringe from flying everywhere. It's just a really nice tactile experience but it's something that's easy to wear because I don't worry about ruining it or getting it caught on anything. And the night of April's pink moon, Tuesday the 7th, I was really disappointed because it seemed like we would not be able to see the moon rise due to cloud cover. I was outside looking at where the moon rises over the ridge on the other side of the creek and it was already I could see the light of the moon a little bit coming up so I knew it was about to rise but I could see that there was a lot of cloud cover gathering and Samuel said well let's drive down to the river because the moon rises there at somewhat of a an earlier time at a lower point so we drove down and we had about three minutes of gorgeous moonlight before the clouds took over. And it was, it was so short-lived, but it was so beautiful. We did not see any pinkish hue to the moon at all, but it was very large and very bright and very moody because the clouds were kind of creeping closer and closer. And I read a few moon poems. And then before we knew it, it was all clouded up and we went home. But I'm really glad that we seized that opportunity because I feel this pendant was sort of bathed in moonlight and blessed by April's pink moon. And it's it's really been something I turn to again and again ever since. And it's good that I had this success with the pendant because the Sakasama jacket, um, it, it's just not happening. <laughs> I thought that using a linen blend yarn for a pattern written for a linen yarn would be suitable but it really isn't. And the whole thing wants to kind of just roll up um, in a way that I find exceedingly frustrating. And I just had to set it aside. I don't know if I will ever return to the project. I just don't really have the capacity to kind of work through something. And I thought and I thought and I thought about another project to start and what I should do or how I could fix the jacket. And I just thought, if I'm going to put this much energy into something, I should be really focusing on my own designs. So I set it aside. I actually threw it in the garbage, but I since retrieved. <laughs> um, 
I set it aside and I just have been focusing on this little collection that's been on my mind. And that has been good because I'm able to give it my full attention. And now I am working up the first pattern on paper, writing everything down. And I hope to tell you more about that collection and um, have an opportunity, hopefully, for some test knitters coming up for the first design in this collection. In terms of other projects that are not design work, yes, I would like to get started on something. I have in mind a little shrug that I want to knit with my hand spun yarn. And also, May is, it feels like it's just around the corner. And the weekend of that was designated to be Maryland Sheep and Wool weekend, I believe I will be casting on my next Marie Wallen design, which is Bresse. And I think this will be the fifth uh, design from the Shetland book that I'm going to work on. And I'll be in good company because some podcasting friends and I think some of you may also be casting on Marie Wallen designs at that time. But that's a very intricate long-term color work pattern and it would also be nice to have something simple. So I haven't wound any yarn. I haven't really made a decision about that. For now, I'm just kind of recovering from the disappointment of the Sakasama jacket. I think it's a very cool thing. I do have linen yarn that I could try again. And I I feel confident it would work. I just had a challenge working with that linen when I tried it last spring because it hurt my hands. So lots of possibilities, no decisions. I find decision-making and focus, except for maybe the first four or five hours of the day, very difficult. I'm not sure if this is just a sign of the times and something that may resolve itself or if this is like the new normal. Uh, but I'm just trying to work with it and set aside things that really demand my attention for the early morning hours. The front porch. I have begun a new spinning project. On the weekend that was to be the Allentown Fiber Festival, it was a little last minute and kind of thrown together, but the organizers did make an effort to host a virtual fiber festival on the Saturday of the event. I took a look at the vendors who were missing out on the opportunity to sell their products at the festival and decided that I would make a few fiber purchases since I don't have any dyed fiber left. I've really spun up everything, everything prepped that's in my stash. I had spun and put into that three-ply project. 
And so I was in need of some additional things to spin. So the first thing I purchased was a Rolag set from Green Goat Ranch. They're a business that's from New Jersey, so very local to me. And they have goats and most of their fiber preps are a blend of wool and mohair. The set of Rolex I bought is called Rose Quartz. It has pinks, golds, and then a beautiful blend of purples and other colors. It's just a set. I think it's just a two ounce set of Rolex, but absolutely delightful to spin. And I've brought them over to the studio so that I can work on some spinning when I just need a break from my schoolwork or if I'm just listening to something and I don't need to be typing or using my hands, I can keep them occupied with spinning these Rolex. So they have been a complete delight. My second purchase was from Lisa of Fiber Nymph Dye Works. This purchase was dyed to order and is currently on its way to me. I heard Lisa talking about this product on her podcast and I've been intrigued about it ever since. It's called a Shetland Trio and she uses a trio of undyed fibers and dyes them all with the same color to create this really interesting blend. So there, I'm forgetting the exact terms for the Shetland, but she uses quite a deep brown and a medium and then a light in their natural colors. And she applies them, she exposes them all to the same dye bath. So you get different colors, but she uses one dye. I think it's a very interesting concept. And she has a range of different colors that she uses, and I chose one that's in sort of the red Merlot family. I'm very eager to receive these and to start spinning with them. I think I will keep that set at home and the Rolex in the studio And then, see, I'm not sure if I will use the two together, um, somehow apply them together, Um, but I think they could be interesting, maybe blended or on their own. The spinning has really been a welcome meditation tool over the past several weeks, and I've been picking up my spindles more than I usually do. So I'll be very happy to receive this fiber and start working with it. Hashtag power pantry. I seem to have a little more capacity for cooking and baking than I do for fiber arts these days. Maybe that's just out of necessity, but uh, I have been enjoying a few new recipes and making plans for other things. After the last episode, I did bake the Zatar spiced chickpea crackers. 
I really enjoyed that recipe. It was straightforward and easy to do. I found the dough particularly easy to work with. And I think the thinner the better in terms of the crunchy quality to the crackers was really much better with the thin ones that I made. But the ones that were a little bit thicker were still very tasty. The recipe says that they keep for four days. I kept mine, I was eating the last of mine over a week after I had baked them. I just kept them in a very airtight tin and they were fine. They're really good with um, goat cheese. I also made a blend of goat cheese and cream cheese which is nice because I find goat cheese just kind of crumbles all over the place most of the time. And by just blending it with a little bit of cream cheese or Neufchatel cheese, it makes the whole product a little easier to handle and spread. These crackers break a little more easily than wheat crackers. And so it's nice to have something that is easy to put on top of them. They're also great with soup. My sister Jessica is trying them with some flowers other than garbanzo bean flowers. There are a number of bean flowers available like mung bean flour and she was going to see if the recipe would work well for some other flowers that she has in her pantry. I have been working on growing a few items that will become part of my summer pantry by having my little potted garden outside. I started some lettuce. My mother gave me this really neat uh, fabric disc that has seeds embedded in it, and it had two kinds of lettuce. I think it had a lettuce spinach and arugula and all three kinds have now um, sprouted and I'm just kind of running in and out of doors covering them all this week because the nights keep getting very very cold. I've also been covering a really cool pot with a variety of different herbs. I have cilantro, parsley, and thyme in one of those pots with the holes all around the sides. Cilantro, I think, is extremely delicate, so I've been throwing tea towels over that pot. And then I also have a cherry tomato plant. I nestled a big, thick towel around that last night. <laughs> and then a whole... Um, a long tray of Swiss chard. Yesterday, I actually picked some leaves. I pinched some leaves off of the Swiss chard already to use in a salad. So I'm very hopeful about the potential yield of the Swiss chard. Still on my list are um, basil that I haven't been able to Find. I mean, not that I've been going out looking for this stuff every day. I'm just trying to kind of plan strategically 
leave big gaps between the time that I go to these farm stands and hope that the next time I go, some of the things that I would like to purchase are available. One is basil and another is some um, just some flowering plants that will be nice in two planters I have on either side of the porch steps. That's just more decorative. And then if there's anything else I see that I think could go well in a pot, I might pick that up. It was all very hopeful when the weather turned warm so soon, but now mid-April it's quite frosty and cold, so I hope everything survives okay and that I wasn't in error in doing some planting so early. In The pots are very close to the house, so that's a little bit of a different climate than sort of out in the open. And what I noticed is that the pots and the steps and that whole side of the house collect quite a bit of heat during the day. Even if it seems cold out, if it's sunny, it collects heat. So I think those things stay warmer, certainly, than the air, but they're still delicate and it's still getting very cold. There was snow in some places last night. I don't think we had any snow. I just saw quite a bit of frost over everything this morning when I went out. It's always good to have something to look forward to. And a lot of that expectation is culinary these days. uh, Since other options are inaccessible. And I am really looking forward to rhubarb. On my several visits to my mom, we kind of cleared around her rhubarb plants and found where they started coming up. We fertilized them. And the last time I was there, they had gone from these tiny little plants just sort of starting to come out of the ground to nearly knee high. And she said, I think the next time you visit, we'll be able to harvest some rhubarb for you. So I started looking at rhubarb recipes, and one that I would like to try is a baked ricotta with spice poached rhubarb. Looks really good and kind of a good dessert alternative to cake. So we're trying to, um, you know, Be creative with our sweets and not always have something that's based on wheat or flour. And so I think this baked ricotta would be a good alternative. And I really like things in that um, old-fashioned cheesecake baked ricotta sort of category. I don't really like a New York-style creamy cheesecake. I prefer things that are a little more rustic. So I'm excited to try this, and of course, I will let you know how it goes. If you have favorite rhubarb recipes, I would love to know about them, because rhubarb is one of my favorite things. I, 
I really like the astringency of it and the tartness, and I tend not to balance it out with very much sugar at all. I just kind of like to leave it really tart, kind of hanging out there. And um, yeah, I'm curious about your rhubarb recipes, so let me know. Off the shelf. Before completing this golden fleece, I did start reading Curlew Moon by Mary Caldwell. This is an absolutely beautiful book. I expected to like it, but I didn't expect that there would be so much poetry in it. The author begins by describing what a curlew is and particularly its cry and the way it has struck people over time. And to do this, she references many, many different poems about the curlew. And I have enjoyed reading it immensely, but I've paused. So the author is about to take a 500-mile walk And over the course of that walk, she will look at different habitats and kind of trace the curlew moving through different territories. And she's going to begin this walk for several different reasons on April 21st. So about a week ago, I got to the point in the book where she was about to begin this walk And I decided that I would wait to continue reading until April 21st and kind of read along this journey with her. And in the meantime, I would return to reading this golden fleece and have time to complete it. So that is what I've been doing. I've been sort of holding off and savoring After reading the first few pages of Curlew Moon, I already knew like I I didn't want to finish it because I didn't want it to be over. I also think there's going to be some difficult moments in this reading because the habitat of the curlews is really under pressure and it's really being depleted and so I think there are going to be quite a few moments that are not easy to read Um, but also the beauty of the writing is just something that I want to savor and linger over so it's that difficult feeling you have when you love reading something so much that you try to slow it down so that you don't finish the book. I've also been thinking I'm enjoying both of these so much that whatever will I read next that will bring that kind of joy to my reading experience. And I haven't been on Goodreads for a really long time, but I kind of revived my account just so that I could use the feature of seeing you know, people who read this book also read because I find that very helpful and also getting some books in a similar genre. 
So I have some ideas, and um, I'll just kind of stew over them a little bit before making a decision. April is National Poetry Month, and I continue to be surprised by poetry in different places. This morning on my way over, I listened to a few episodes of Bird Note, this little two-minute podcast, and there was a poem from someone, a poet unknown to me, Stefania Gomez. I will link this in the show notes so you can check it out. When I got to the studio, I looked her up and found some of her other poems. Another thing that I will link for you in the show notes is something from the Poetry Foundation. They have a really cool clickable feature of the first chapter of Edward Hirsch's work, How to Read a Poem. It's designed for high school students, but I think really anyone can enjoy it. It kind of breaks down a whole bunch of points that he lays out in the first chapter of How to Read a Poem and provides you with some additional reading for each of those points. It's a very clever tool, and I really applaud the Poetry Foundation for putting something like that together. I think it's very teachable. I was thinking of all the ways that I could use that if I were in the classroom. And so I highly recommend it as a nice primer to poetry and maybe to discover some things that you had forgotten about or um, that had escaped your notice so far. In thinking about what poem to share with you on the episode today, I've decided on a poem by Ada Limon, and it's titled Instructions on Not Giving Up. More than the fuchsia funnels breaking out of the crabapple tree, more than the neighbor's almost obscene display of cherry limbs shoving their cotton candy-colored blossoms to the slate sky of spring rains, it's the greening of the trees that really gets to me. When all the shock of white and taffy the world's baubles and trinkets leave the pavement strewn with confetti of aftermath. The leaves come. Patient, plodding, a green skin growing over whatever winter did to us. A return to the strange idea of continuous living despite the mess of us, the hurt, the empty. Fine, then, I'll take it, the tree seems to say, a new slick leaf unfurling like a fist to an open palm. I'll take it all. <laughs> <laughs> 